in an older church, you're always doing funeral services. And you know, um, I don't call them funeral services. When I know a person's saved, I know they're walking with God. I know that they've been redeemed. There's no question that they're in heaven. I, I just call it celebration services. And, and that's what they are for a child of God. We celebrate their life and celebrate the fact that they've gone home to be with Jesus, which is a glorious, glorious thing. But it's almost like about three months ago, God started showing me just kind of a journey about eternal life. And the first verse he, he brought to my mind, I started using in services, was the Job's question in Job fourteen fourteen, Oldest book in the Bible, Job had been through trauma after trauma. In the middle of the book, he said, you know, I got a question, Lord. If a man dies, will he live again? And he went on to say, when you call, I will answer. But he didn't answer the question. He just asked it. If a man dies, will he live again? Well, then the next verse that God showed me about two weeks later, three weeks later, was in Job 19, 25. And, and Job uh, 24, wherever it is. But uh, it, it said uh, this. Job having asked that question, if a man dies, will he live again? Then he made this confession. Now I want you to listen to it. Oldest book in the Bible. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the latter day, he will stand on the earth. I said, Job, man, you're making progress. I mean, you first asked the question, if a man dies, will he live again? And now you've come on this journey. Well, I know this, my Redeemer lives, and one day he'll stand on the earth. And then I thought about, well, you know, did anybody ever answer that question? If a man dies, will he live again? Oh, yes. Jesus answered it once and for all. Do you remember when Lazarus died? And Jesus didn't get from Jerusalem to Bethany for four days. You know, he could have made it much quicker, but he had a plan. And when he got to Bethany, Martha heard that he was there. She, he hadn't got to the house yet. And she ran to meet him, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had a, a sense of brokenness in her heart. And Jesus looked at her. Now, Job would ask the question, if a man dies, will he live again? I know my Redeemer lives, and the last day he'll stand on the earth. And Jesus said, Martha, your brother's going to rise again in the resurrection. And he said, no, your brother will rise again. Oh, she said, I know that he'll rise again in the last day. And then, you know what Jesus said? He answered Job's question. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that lives and believes in me will never die, and he who dies will live forever. Listen, Jesus was the answer to Job's question. My Redeemer will stand on the earth. And so Jesus stood and said to Martha, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and eternal life is in me, and he who lives and believes in me will never die Spiritually, you just change locations. And so I've just been thinking about eternal life. Because I'll tell you what, if you hadn't been thinking about it, you need to be thinking about it. You know what the Bible says? It is appointed unto man once to die. 
and after that the judgment. Now that's pretty sobering. Peter just said it's appointed unto man once to die. I said, okay, I know that. But he said, no, but after that, death is not the end. He said it's not the end. It's an open door into eternity. So I, I want us to think this. I want to answer some questions this morning about eternal life. Right from the Word of God. And I love how clear the Word of God is about eternal life. If you have your Bible, you can open them to 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And I want you to listen to what John said about eternal life. The Word of God is so clear. And in three verses, God says more than et- about eternal life than a philosopher could say in 50 years. In John, 1 John 5, 11, here it goes. And this is the testimony. And this is the record. Okay, the word there in the Greek means kind of like a birth certificate or a marriage license. It is an official document. You got it? And this is the record. This is the testimony. This is the official document. God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And he goes on and says in verse 12, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. He said, by the way, the next verse, these things have I written unto you. I wrote in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5 of 1 John. But I'm summing it up. And I said, now, all these things I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, you know, you ain't got to be a rocket scientist to say, there it is, the record. God has given us eternal life. It's in his Son. If you have Jesus, you have life now and eternally. If you don't have Jesus, you do not have life now. Are eternally. And by the way, I wrote this so you could know. I didn't want you to wish, think, and hope. And I didn't want you to come to the very de- death's door and say, boy, I sure hope. Man, I hope I got eternal life. Man, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a little nervous. I just hope I got eternal life. Said, no, I don't want you to live that way. You can walk boldly to death's door and say, but I know my Redeemer lives. I know that I have eternal life. I want you to look at some of the questions that these verses answer. Now, here's the first one. Eternal life is a gift of God. Look at what it says in verse 11. God has given us. He said it's a gift from God. Eternal life is a gift from Almighty God. You know... um, It is a gift, but I want to show you in a few moments, it was the most costly gift ever given. For God to give the gift of eternal life cost God more than you and I could ever understand or ever know. It's a gift. 
But oh, the price that was paid for that gift to be given was beyond our understanding, really. And you know, when you think about that God has given us the gift of eternal life, you know what that tells us about God? That he's eternal. An eternal God is the only one that can give eternal life. Don't you love how the Bible is so minutely accurate in everything it says? Moses said to the Lord, when I go over there and tell Pharaoh to let these people of yours go, that you're going to bring the Messiah into the world through. When I go over there and tell him to let him go, who am I going to tell him sent me? God spoke to Moses and said, you tell him that I am. I am sent me, sent you. I am that I am. Now, God called himself, I am. Why? Because he's eternal. He doesn't say, tell him, I was sent you. Didn't tell him I will be sent you. You tell him that I am. I've always been. I've always will be. I'm without beginning and without any. I am the one true eternal God. And only an eternal God can give eternal life. And so therefore we understand that this eternal life is a gift from God. All right, here's the second thing, question this answers. Well, uh, it's a gift, but here's a second statement. It's in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. And this is the record that God has given us eternal life, verse 11. And this life is in his son. Say this, say this with me. In his son. Say it. In his son. Now, what's hard about that to understand? What's hard about that? He said, now look, this eternal life that I am giving you, it is in my son, Jesus Christ. So, you know, that tells me something. That eternal life is not in good works. And this eternal life is through your good work. So eternal life is not in good works. And eternal life is not in church membership. And eternal life is not in the sacraments. And eternal life is, is, is not even in, in, in a book that tells us the way of eternal life. God narrows it down. And you know, you say, you Christians are narrow-minded, just as narrow as God is. <laughs> and by the way, Jesus said, broad is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. It was God who said, this eternal life is found nowhere but in my son, Jesus Christ. He says, and this life is in my son. And then he went on in the next verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He who has the son has life. That's not hard to understand. doesn't say who has the church has life, who has the creed has life. He who gets baptized has life. Doesn't say any of that stuff. He just said, now look, you've got to understand it's not complicated. It's not. Don't, don't complicate the gospel of Christ. He said, I've given you eternal life and this life is in my son. And if you have my son, you have life, period. Now, if you don't have my son, you don't have life. He said that in verse 12. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God 
does not have life. And that is so clear. But why is it that people want to look everywhere else but to Jesus for eternal life? Let me tell you why. Because that's the lie the devil has been telling since the Garden of Eden. The greatest heresies in the world are the heresies that say that salvation is in someone other than Jesus Christ. That's heresy. It's a lie. And it'll damn people to an eternal hell. He said, eternal life and this life is in my son. John 17, 3. Have you noticed how God just sticks verses in there? I want you to listen to this verse. What is eternal life, y'all? And this is eternal life that you might know that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Well, that's not complicated. Eternal life is that they might know you, the only true God. And that word know there is intimate knowledge. It's not knowing about. It's knowing personally. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. They know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, we sang it earlier. In Christ alone, that's where eternal life is. You know why? I want to give you about three or four reasons why eternal life is in Jesus. Nowhere else. You say, Brother Fred, I think you're wrong. I'm trusting in Jesus plus this. Then you're wrong. Because it's not Jesus plus anything. He that has the Son and is baptized has eternal life. That is not what it says. You know, the reason that eternal life is in his Son is because his Son, who was God's gift to us, is the one who paid the price for our sin. He is the one who suffered and died on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be changed, so that you would be, could be accepted by the Father, and so that you could live in heaven. You know the reason Jesus' salvation is in his son? No, excuse me. The reason eternal life is in his son is because his son is the one who made the perfect sacrifice. I want you to look at these verses. Hebrews 10, verse, uh, verse 12. Now, this is why salva, eternal life is in Jesus only. This man, this is Hebrews 10, 12, after he offered one sacrifice for sin, one sacrifice for sin, set down forever, set down at the right hand of God. Up until Jesus went to the cross, every day they offered sacrifices. Thousands, millions, sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. On the day of atonement, the high priest would cover himself, move the veil over, slip in there, sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood of a lamb, signifying one day that the lamb of God would come. And come quickly out because, you know, that wasn't any permanent sacrifice. But the reason eternal life is in Jesus, he offered the eternal sacrifice. He offered one sacrifice for sin forever And guess what he did? He sat down. Why did he sit down? Because he was finished. There would be no more sacrifices. All right? Look at verse 14. By one offering, Jesus himself, 
He perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By that offering of his life on the cross, he perfected us forever in himself who is being sanctified. Verse 20, uh, just read on from 14 on, all right? I want to show you why Jesus is the, is eternal life is in him. All right, look at what it says in verse 15. I want you to let this get in your spirit. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. After Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice for sin forever, and God says, I will give you eternal life, and this life is in my son. Let me tell you why it is in my son. This is why. He said, this is a covenant I will make with them after those days. I will put my law in, I'll put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Do you understand how significant that is? Let me tell you why. Before the law was written on tablets of stone, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Before the law was written on tablets of stone, and they, they looked at that law, and, the, and their flesh could not keep it. And the law, instead of bringing them to God, showed them their sinfulness and how they were separated from God. The law was outward pressure to keep the rules, but they couldn't do it. So God said, I'm going to change that. I'm not going to write the law on tablets made of stone. Glory to God, I'm going to write it in their heart. And I'm going to write it in their mind. And they will have my law in their heart and mind. And I want you to listen to this. I'm about to have a spell. Let me tell you what it'll do. When God's law is written in your heart and your mind, you obey God because you want to and not because you have to. They'd look at the Ten Commandments and say, I've got to obey God. Hallelujah. Now I look at Jesus and I say, praise God. I get to obey God because his law is written in my heart and in my mind. No wonder he said this salvation is this eternal life's in my son. He said, I'm going to take my law and I'm going to write it in their heart and in their mind. And because it's there, they're going to want to obey me, not because they have to. And he goes on and he talks about that new covenant. He said, this is the covenant in verse 16. I will make in those days. I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. And he adds, is this good or is this good? Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. You remember all those sacrifices they made in the Old Testament? All they do would, could, could cover their sin, just cover their sin. So they offer another one the next day. Then on the day of atonement, he made a sacrifice to cover their sins for the past year. But oh no, not now. When Jesus died on the cross, cried, it is finished. God made a new covenant, wrote his law on our heart and our minds. And he said, by the way, I'm not ever going to remember your sin anymore. But you know, that's a great gift. He says, their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Where there is remission of sin, there's no longer an offering of sin. Then he goes and says in verse 19, so therefore we can just go into the presence of God. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which is consecrated us through the flesh. Let, in verse 22, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Okay. Eternal life. Is a gift from God. You don't earn it. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. His perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future. 
But that's, that's not enough. You see, there's two sides to that. Jesus not only took our sin, but then as a part of his work on the cross, he gave us his righteousness. Can I tell you something that will make you feel good? The only righteousness that's going to be in heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that you're not going to have to go knocking on the door and say, Lord, here I am with the tattered, filthy garments of my own righteousness? Uh Uh-uh. God is holy, holy, holy. That can be no unrighteousness in his presence. So what God did on the cross when he provided eternal life in his son, he not only took our sin and paid the final and ultimate price, but then he said, now I'm going to give you the righteousness of my son. And from now on, from the day you get saved, I'm going to look at you and I'm not going to see your righteousness and I'm not going to see your past. I'm going to see you robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Do you, now you understand a little bit better about the prodigal son. When he came out of the far country, wicked, smelling like a bunch of pigs, filthy. And, and what did his father do? He gave him a new what? Robe. He, he said he took that old robe that was tattered and torn and smelled like pigs. And he gave him a new robe. And it's like we come to Jesus in all of our sin and failure. And God says, I'm going to wash your sins away with the blood of Christ. And now I'm going to give you a new robe. I'm going to robe you in the righteousness of my son Jesus. And let me tell you what will bless your heart. When you stand before God, when you leave this earth and you go to be in the presence of God, you'll stand before him and he will see you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's enough to make anybody shout. You know, the Bible says it so clearly. It says over in Romans, I want you to listen to this. It says in Romans 5, 17, we've received abundance of grace. Last part of that verse. We've received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that we might reign in life by Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, Paul was the Pharisee of all the Pharisees. He, he got all A's in religion. I mean, he never failed a test. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But he said, you know, what things were gained to me, I counted all things, I counted all things lost for Christ. And I count them as garbage that I might win him. And then he goes on and says, in that, down in that verse, around verse 9, It says, indeed, I count all things for loss with excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Get that other verse back up there. I'm I'm going back and forth. All right, here it is. This is what I want you to see. He said, I might be found in him. He said, I don't want to be found as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I don't want to be found as more zealous of the law than any other Pharisees. I was the number one Jew. I don't want that. I let it all go. I counted it but lost. Why? Because I realize that I could be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm going to tell you all something. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I deserve to go to hell. We all do. But I'm telling you the grace of God The mercy of God, 
that he would take our sin and bear it in the depths of the sea and wash it away with the blood of his son. And then look at us who had rebelled and go our own way. He said, you're forgiven. And now I just want to give you a wonderful gift. I want to give you the righteousness of my son. And I'll never see you any other way than in the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. Don't tell me eternal life is found anywhere else. It's not. It is only found in Jesus Christ. For he took our sin and God gave us his righteousness and we can stand before him righteous. Now, I want you to look at this. This will break your heart. Romans chapter 10. And you know people every day that you rub shoulders with that this describes them. And it breaks my heart. It describes them. Paul was brokenhearted over his Jewish brothers. They were physically his brothers. And what broke his heart was they didn't know how to have the righteousness of God. Look in chapter 10 of Romans, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Oh, the Pharisees were zealous. The Sadducees were zealous. They went to the temple every day. They offered sacrifices. But Paul said, listen, my heart's broken. My prayer to God for Israel is they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, now don't miss this, being ignorant, ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul said, you know, I'm, my heart's brokenhearted for my Jewish brothers. They don't understand that God's righteousness is a gift. It's a gift through his son, Jesus Christ. But see, they're ignorant of that. They're ignorant of, of God's righteousness. And they're going around by their good works and by trying hard and their religion. They're doing the best they can to try to find righteousness. He said, it breaks my heart. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. And they're trying to, to establish their own righteousness. And they won't receive the righteousness of God, which is by faith. How many people do you know that are just trusting their good works? They're trusting their church membership. They're trusting their baptism. They're trusting the sacraments. They're trusting everything. But listen to me. Let me tell you something. Your only hope is in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the gift of righteousness that God has given you. And anything else is not right and it's wrong. And so what people need to know, God have mercy on those who are ignorant of your righteousness and are trying to establish their own righteousness and they won't receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is heartbreaking. Well, so that answers, that's three statements about them. Eternal life. Eternal life is a gift from God. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ, his son. Now, let's see what time it is. I got it. How do you receive eternal life? Now, that's a good question. How do you receive it? 
You know, there's a verse passage we don't use very often, but it is amazing. If you have your Bible, turn to the first chapter of John. And this tells you exactly how you receive the eternal life. I mean, it's so plain. You know, I mean, you, 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 had, you, you can just, anybody who has an open heart open, can receive this. They can receive this. So in John 1, starting in verse 11. All right, how do you receive eternal life? It's a gift from God. It is in Jesus Christ. How do you receive it? He came to his own, the Jews. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him, his own, the Jews, did not receive him. So he just took it right on to the Gentiles. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, Christ, his sacrifice, his resurrection, his righteousness. But as many as received him, he, he gave the right, the authority to become children of God. <clears throat> they received him, Christ, and he gave them the authority and the right to become children of God. Now look at verse 13. You, you say, what in the world does that mean? Who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What in the world is he saying? Now, I know what he said. He came to the Jews. They did not receive him. But when a person received him, his sacrifice, his resurrection, his righteousness, they received him in all his totality. To them gave the authority to become the children of God. And he says, by the way, let me tell you, they were not born of blood. You know what that means? You can be born in a Christian family and never be a Christian. Just because your mama was saved don't mean you're saved. Just because your grandfather was a preacher don't mean you're saved. Listen, you are not a Christian by physical birth. You are not born of blood. Somebody says, well, uh, you know, I, I, it's... I come from a Christian family. Praise God. What a blessing. But let me tell you something. It's Christianity, salvation, eternal life is the most individual thing in the world. It's the individual. Nobody can do it for you. And nobody can take it away from you. Who were born not of blood has nothing to do with your physical heritage other than the fact that if you're born in a Christian family, you've got a good shot at it. But look what else it says. Who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh. There's nothing you can do to, to earn or deserve eternal life. There's nothing you can do except I'll tell you what you do. You repent and you believe in Jesus. He said, but you're not born of blood. You're not born by human descent, and you're not born of the will of the flesh. There's, it's not by your good works. There's nothing you can do by your own effort to save yourself. If you could save yourself, Jesus would have never died on the cross. So you're born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh. Now get this. This will blow you away. Nor the will of man. There's nothing organized religion can do to save you. You're not born by the will of man. No church can save you. Zero. 
If they tell you that salvation is in the church, you just tell them you're wrong. It's not. It's not of the will of man. There's nothing that man as an organized body or religious body can do to save anybody. It says here, let me tell you right now, you were born not of blood, not by human descent, nor the will of the flesh. You had no power to to save yourself, nor the will of man. There's nothing organized religion can do to save you. But look at the last part of it. Who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but what does it say? But of God. The miracle of salvation is of God. You're born of God. The new birth, the miracle of new birth is of God. So how do you receive eternal life? In Christ. And it's not by it's not by a blood nor the will of the flesh or the will of man, but it's of God. Acts 20, 20, and 21 tells you how to do it. All right, here it is. It's repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Here it is. How I kept back nothing that was helpful to you, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and house to house. Paul said, I preached the whole gospel to you. I didn't hold back anything, and I did it in the square, and I did it in your house. And what was it? Verse 21. Testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God. We've sinned against God, so we repent to God. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he says, listen. The way you receive eternal life is you repent of your sins against God. And then you place your faith, your trust, your whole life and hope and future in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Now, repentance means more than to confess your sin. Repentance means you turn away from your sin. Now, before I got right with God and understood it, and I was always turning over a new leaf. Lord, I'm not ever going to do that again. I'm not going to live like that anymore. And I know it's wrong. And I'm telling you, Lord, you can count on me. And God said, you're stupid. I can't count on you. <laughs> I turned over so many new leaves, I wore out the pages. But finally, God said to me, well, when are you ever going to get it? You can't do it. You have to repent and confess your sin and by my grace turn from them and you will never be able to turn from them unless I give you the power some of you have been promising God you were going to turn away and you haven't done it because you're looking to yourself repentance is this God I have sinned against you I have no power to change myself my only hope is in Jesus and so God I confess my sin and I choose to leave them behind but I never will unless Jesus gives me the power Stop trying to turn away from your sins in your own power. Repent, call it what it is, sin, and then tell God, I choose to change, and you change me, and he will. He will. Repentance toward God, and then trust Jesus only. Trust Jesus only. Not Jesus plus anything. All right, here's the last thing about eternal life. Okay. It's a gift of God. The costliest gift ever given. It is in his son, Jesus Christ, nowhere else because of his sacrifice and his righteousness. And how is it received? He come into Jesus, repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, how do you know you have eternal life? How do you know it? Well, <clears throat> let me just say four things. I'm not going to linger. Number one, you have a changed life. You're not the same as before. I heard someone say one time, if anybody meets, says, I've met the master Jesus and I've been saved and they're not changed, that's impossible. For you cannot encounter Jesus, the master, and not be changed. You can't do it. Now, once you meet Jesus, you will be changed. I didn't say you'd be perfect. I, but I'll tell you what, you'll be changed. Oh, I, I met Jesus and I love him, but I've been living the same old way the last 40 years. Pardon me, that ain't right. It's not right. When Jesus comes into you, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I guarantee you when Christ transformed my life, I mean, I, I still struggled and I still struggle now. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus changed my life. He did. I still got a long way to go, but he changed my life. And the things I used to love, I don't love anymore. And the things I used to hate, I love now. I used to run to sin, now I'm running from it. I used to run from righteousness, and now I'm running after it. Why? Because Jesus changed me. Have you ever been changed? Have you ever been changed? You may have gotten saved when you were nine. You can. And I guarantee you that something happened to you then. And you've never gotten away from it. I know that. It may that you got saved when you were 40. But you know one thing, God changed you. There's some people here I know that I, I've just watched God change them and transform them. And it's all God. They'll tell you, it's all God. So what's the evidence of changed life? The fruits of righteousness. Listen to this verse. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What about that is hard to understand. He said, make right choices and just be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Not by yourself, by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And it's the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness that you're saved, that you have eternal life. Look at Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let me, let me go with that again. I don't feel saved. What's I got to do with it? But I don't have, my, I feel, I don't have good feelings. The devil just keeps pointing out your past sin, and he keeps saying you're not worthy and all that stuff. He's a liar. has nothing to do with your worthiness. It says the Spirit himself bears witness with our human spirit that we're children of God. And when the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit, then you, know, you just know that you know. Now, I'm closing with this. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, this is, uh, I think, verse 13, that you may know. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may wish, hope, think, perhaps, maybe. Is that what it says? No. That you may know that you have eternal life. I've written all this to you so you could know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. 